We kicked off a new series last week called On the Way here at Praise Assembly. And if you missed it, if you were not able to be here last week, you missed it. And so I encourage you to go on to our website and and if you have an opportunity to listen to the message from last week as we kicked off this series called On the Way. Um, We're continuing that series today. It's based on a verse that is in Luke chapter 1. Uh, when, when um, Zechariah is actually he's prophesying over John the Baptist after John was born. And as he's prophesying over John the Baptist, he really spends the vast majority of the time prophesying over Jesus. And so at the end of that prophecy in verses 78 and 79, this is what it says. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the thing about Jesus' birth was that here is described as a sunrise peeking over the horizon. And as soon as there's a sliver of that sun that's right over the horizon, it floods the darkness, right, with light. And not only the darkness, but even the shadow of death. It it just washes it away in light. And I think that's such a beautiful image. But as Jesus rises in Scripture, all of the Scriptures are kind of full of the light of him. And as that happens here in Luke, and it, it often can be so bright that you miss how God prepared for it. Right? Like he didn't just start in Bethlehem at the Nativity. Right? And so part of what we're doing as part of this series is as we think of Bethlehem, we might immediately just think of the nativity scene. And we think of all of the stuff that went into that. But, but there were times when Bethlehem shows up way before that in Scripture. And so what we've been doing as part of this series, or we started last week, was reading the times in Scripture that Bethlehem shows up that is, that is uh, before Jesus being born. And so last week we read the story of Rachel dying and being buried on the side of the road just outside Bethlehem on the way. And so what we've been doing as part of that is reading those stories. If, if we're going to keep doing that this morning, then we're going to read the next story that is about Bethlehem in the Old Testament. So if you would grab your Bibles this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out in the seats all around you. And I do believe that God wants to do something very special today. And so I just pray right now that the Holy Spirit opens your heart to hear what he would say specifically to you. What I love about the power of the Holy Spirit is often I'll I'll have someone who comes up to me and says, man, I just loved when you said this on Sunday. And I said, I said that? I I didn't say that. That's what you heard, which means that's what the Holy Spirit was speaking directly to you. So here's the thing. I'm going to say a bunch of stuff today, and the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you. And what I love about it is he's going to speak to you just what you need this morning. If you allow yourself to hear. If you allow the Holy Spirit to open up your ears to hear. Okay? Um, but we're going to be in, in Ruth. So if you would grab your Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible, today's the kind of day when you really need to have a Bible to follow along. The scriptures will be up on the screen, but I'm telling you, I just can't read the whole thing. Like, there's so much here. So you might be interested in reading the stuff before or after or all around it. And so this would be the day when you want to have a Bible. If you don't have some, grab one of the ones in the seat around you. If you do not own a Bible, that Bible is our gift 
to you today. We would just love it if we had to put a new one in there because for Merry Christmas, we gave somebody a Bible. So grab that Bible. Take it if you don't have one. If you do, are using one of the church Bibles, it will be on page 222 this morning. Page 222, the book of Ruth. I love the book of Ruth. I feel completely ill-equipped to preach the book of Ruth. Um, but I love it, and I wish I could speak like a, do an eight-week series on the book of Ruth. We can't do that, and so I'm going to make an assumption, which is a terrible assumption that I would never encourage any other preacher ever to do, and that is I'm going to make the assumption that you have read this book already, and if you haven't, you better start reading because I'm going to be speaking out of it, but I can't share it all, okay? So the book of Ruth is easily an eight-week series, and I'm not going to be able to hit it all, so we're just going to skip a rock across that pond instead today. Okay, so we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Ruth is interesting partly because of the fact that, well, really, she's the only, she's the only book, the book of Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament that is named after somebody who's not Jewish. It's one of two books that is named after a woman, okay? One of two books in the whole Bible that's named after a non-Jewish person. So really very interesting in that way, but Ruth is kind of sandwiched in between Judges and 1 Samuel. So I've always kind of pictured Ruth as that sweet little lady in the middle seat on the plane between two big old boys. Like that's how I've pictured Ruth. Like it's just kind of sandwiched in there between these two big books of Judges and 1 Samuel. And, and, and so it's just kind of snuck in between them, but there's so much to Ruth. In fact, if we start reading right in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, here's how it starts. In the days when the judges ruled, in the days when the judges ruled, so now we know why it's right in between Judges and 1 Samuel, because it's the day of Judges when Ruth begins. And 1 Samuel begins during the day of judges. It ends during the days of the kings, but Samuel was a judge. And what I mean by that is, Ruth, if it happens chronologically where it's found, is really found during a very dark place. Um, to be transparent, like, I cheated. Okay? Technically, the book of Ruth is not the next time that Bethlehem is mentioned in Scripture. In fact, Bethlehem is mentioned in the story right before Ruth in Judges. In the final story of Judges, which is like four chapters long, beginning in, in part of the story that's happening in Bethlehem. And I don't want to touch that story with a 10-foot pole today because it is super dark and it's kind of ugly and as you read the story and feel free to read it while I'm talking for the next 30 minutes um, but I'm not going to read it uh, it spirals downward and you keep asking as I, at least as I was reading this story I, I kept asking myself can can this possibly get worse and it does and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And as you read the story, you, you see that Judges ends in a very dark place for the people of Israel. Because the whole book of Judges is really this cycle of, of the people falling away from God and then God sending 
what is called the deliverer, you know, a judge, to deliver the people, to save the people. And all through Judges, this happens over and over and over again. But then you get to this last story, and you find out that the problem for the people of Israel is not the nations around them that are oppressing them. Because there's no nation around them in the last story. It's just the story of an incredibly dark civil war that happens within Israel. And it becomes very clear that the problem is not an external problem. The problem is an internal problem. Right? If there's no nation around them, they will still find themselves in a very dark place. And that's the way Judges goes. And even if you flip one page to the left and read the last verse in Judges. Here's the last verse in Judges. Verse 25 of chapter 21. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So if you take the book of Judges and you put it in a pot and you set it on boil and you forget about it and walk away, and you boil that thing down till there's nothing left but the scum at the bottom of the pot, Judges boiled down is chapter 21, verse 25. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. And this is the place where Ruth starts, okay? It starts in the middle of a darkness that, is not, that speaks to the whole of Judges that says this is not an external problem, this is an internal problem. You don't need deliverance from external circumstances, you need deliverance from the internal issue that is causing the external issues. Okay, that's Judges. And into that, then, Ruth steps. So it's not like the little lady snuggled between these two big old boys of Judges and 1 Samuel. Ruth gives the purpose and the meaning to what's happening in those other two books. That's why it's so important. And I'll, I'll, I'll just, again, I'm going to cheat again. I've cheated once already by not reading that other story. Feel free to. Those, it's a really very interesting thing. But I'm going to cheat again, and I'm not going to read all the way through Ruth, I'm going to start at the good stuff at the end of Ruth, okay? So we're going to start in chapter 4 of Ruth, verse 14. If you didn't read Ruth, um, if you've never read Ruth, spoiler alert, Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a baby. I know, shocker. Okay, so verse 14 is right after they have a baby. Verse 14, here's what it says. Then the women said to Naomi... The women said to Naomi, at some point I'm going to read more than like the first five words of the verse, but for now, like, I love the characters of Ruth. I love Naomi. I've heard preachers say that Naomi, like not in this church, <laughs> but I've heard preachers before say that Naomi's just like this bitter old lady. Like a, I've actually heard a preacher call Naomi, and I'm not talking about Naomi Rosano. I mean, that's not the person I read about. I love Naomi. I think Naomi is fantastic. When I read about Naomi, and I read about, because she does call herself bitter, right? Like, but even as you read that and you find out why is Naomi bitter, and you read even the first indication of who Naomi is and what she's about, like in the first five verses of Ruth, she loses everything, right? Like in the first five verses, she loses her, her home, like she leaves Bethlehem. And then her husband, Elimelech, dies. And then her two sons die. And, her, and, and, and it doesn't tell us how they died. It just says this is what happened. And all of them 
end up dying. And now her sons are named Malon and Chilion, which means sickly and spent. So there's a good chance that, like, the reason why they died was maybe they were always kind of sickly as children. We don't know. Either that or they're really bad at naming their kids. But either way, like, we don't know exactly how they died. Maybe it's as a result of the sickness. We don't know. But Elimelech, we've got no indication of how he died. Like, did he get run over by a camel? We don't know any of that information. All we know is they leave Israel. They go to Moab. While they're there, Naomi loses everything. And yet, what I love about Naomi is when she talks about what makes her the most bitter is when she decides it's time to come back to Bethlehem. She hears God has visited Bethlehem. He's provided bread there in the, in the home of bread, right? Like Bethlehem, the, the town of bread. He's provided bread there. And so the, the famine is over, and she decides to go back. And as she decides to go back, she, her, her daughters-in-law say they're going to come with her. Verse 12 of chapter 1, here's what it says. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, which is, by the way, the very first time we see the word hope in Scripture. It's the first time it shows up. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of situation has gone out against me. What makes her the most bitter as she examines the situation is not her own situation, but what would happen to those daughters-in-law if they come with her? It would be exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. If you tie yourself to me, you come down with this ship, that would be terrible, she said. So I love Naomi. I mean, even as you read about how she handles this and goes through Ruth, the entire time she is hustling and she is working. And who is she doing it for? She's doing it for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. It doesn't say that she's doing it for herself. The entire time she's doing it for Ruth. I love Naomi. I think she's fantastic. I, I also love Ruth. I mean, what can Ruth is awesome, right? Like she is like up there in my book. Because even as you look at after Naomi says that to her, here's, here's our first indication of who Ruth is. Here's Ruth in verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is Ruth. Awesome, right? And how much does that speak to who Naomi is and what Naomi is like? Because she has engendered this sort of trust and relationship and love from her daughter-in-law, which is saying something, folks. Exactly. I heard an amen. I hear this, this passage is often preached on at weddings, like for the relationship between a husband and wife. 
which is totally out of context. Really, if we wanted to use this in a wedding, there would need to be a separate ceremony wherein we make a commitment to our mother-in-law, which I am all about. Like, give them another ring for the mother-in-law, and then that's actually why Liz and I moved out near her in-laws, is because I committed to her that I will lodge where she lodges. Lynette's great. I love her. Anyways. So, but this is who Naomi is, and here's who Ruth is, and I love these guys. I love Boaz. I mean, Boaz. The word means, the name means strength in him. Right? Like, so if Malon and Chilion are, are sickly and spent, Boaz is strength in him. I love Boaz. And even when you hear or get introduced to Boaz, it happens in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, is where I'll start. Here's what it says. This is as they've come back to Bethlehem, and, and Naomi and Ruth are there, and Ruth goes out to try to glean from the fields. In verse 3, here's what it says. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the, of the clan of Elimelech. There's a couple things i got to say here. Number one, the moment it mentions that they're related. To every Jewish person who would have read this when it was written, that would signal something very important. Romance is afoot. Now for us, like, Hearing somebody's cousins with somebody else does not indicate that for us. Unless you're from... We already prayed weather on them. I'm not going to say anything else. Anyways. Um, and then it said, But for them, they would immediately know, okay, this, something's going to happen here. And then it says in, in the verse right there, it says in verse 2, verse 3, it says... So then she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. What I love about that in the Hebrew is that it's like super obvious. It says, and so she happened to happen upon. Really? Really? She happened to. There is something bigger happening here. Right? You don't just happen to happen to have this happen. Right? Like, it, it, something's going on, and you get this, and you pick this up. It's very ironic. Like, oh, coincidence of coincidences. She ended up in the field where Boaz was. But here's, I love Boaz, because I kind of picture Boaz with, like, long, streaming, golden flock uh, hair. Not the sheep. The hair of hair, and, like, the wind blowing, and it's blowing behind him. Here's why I, I feel that way about him. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz. Like, this is how they introduce him. And behold, Boaz. And even then, (laughs) I love this, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, his employees, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they all answered in unison, and the Lord bless you. I go through the offices at praise, and I say, the Lord be with you, and I get a, meh. But Boaz does it, and like all of the reapers with doe eyes are like, and the Lord bless you. I mean, this is Boaz, right? So what I'm saying is this. I kind of see myself in Boaz. (laughs) So I love these characters. 
I mean, Ruth is great. Boaz is great. Naomi, this is a great story. But my favorite characters in the whole book are actually in chapter 4, verse 14. My favorite characters, verse 14 of chapter 4 are, Then the women said to Naomi, I love the women. And I have to be careful saying that. Because if somebody posts that to Facebook, I'll lose my papers. Okay? But I love the women. These women are incredible. This is not the first time we see these women in Ruth. They're introduced back in chapter 1 when Naomi and Ruth come back into Bethlehem. And when they walk into Bethlehem, here's what it says in chapter 1, verse 19. Here's what it says. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the whole town was stirred. The, the, the subject there is very clearly third-person feminine. So the women of Bethlehem were stirred. They're stirred. And the women then said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, spoken against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Continues on and says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. So these women first show up when they come back in, and it says they're stirred. And the first time I read that, I think, wow. Yeah, I can imagine the women of Bethlehem. But these women, man, there's something about them. Because they don't show up again for a little while, but then they show back up in chapter 4, verse 14. And there, this is what they say to Naomi. says, this is after, of course, things have turned around, and, and Boaz and Ruth have had a baby. And in chapter 4, verse 14, here's what they say. Then the, woman, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. That's good. These women know how to praise God. And they're talking about the baby. The baby is to them the redeemer. See, Boaz would have been Ruth's redeemer, but the baby would have been Naomi's redeemer. So they say about this baby, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And then they continue. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Boy, these women are good. Because they say really high praise for Ruth here. She is better for you 
than seven sons. Now that's saying something. That's saying that Ruth is really worth something. And this verse right here makes Ruth chapter 1 verse 21 where she says, I went away full but I came back empty. Makes that verse not age well at all. Right? Because she went away with two sons and a husband. And she is coming back with a Ruth. Which is, according to the women of Bethlehem, more valuable than seven sons. So, it was about ten years. And if two sons turn into more than seven sons, that is like a 250% return. Annualized, that's like 13.35% per year. If I was getting that in my retirement counts, I would be very happy. But for her, she looks at it and they say to her, Ruth is worth more than that. So if Naomi went away full, she is not coming home empty. She is coming home overflowing. Right? Because she has more than what she left with. But there's something about loss. There's something about losing somebody or something that though there may be incredible blessings in our hand, all we can think about is the things that we lost. So for her, she says, I left full, but I'm coming back empty. And the ladies say, no, 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 no. Step back. Look again at Ruth. Because she is of more value to you than seven sons. Verse 16. Beautiful moment in scripture. Tender moment in scripture. Gorgeous moment in scripture. The best grandma moment in scripture. Here's what it says. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And this doesn't mean like literal she was nursing him. It means that she was caring for him. That she was a part of raising this child. But I love the tenderness of this moment in verse 16. Picture this woman in this grandma moment with this grandson she never thought she would have in her lap. It says that She laid him on her lap. Just this tender and intimate grandma moment. And then verse 17. The women are back. And this time they're called. And the women of the neighborhood. They gave him a name. Saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. Wait a second. The women of the neighborhood are the ones who named this child? This is unheard of in scripture. Would have been unheard of in that day. And so the only way that I can picture this, and there's, I guess there's a couple different ways I can picture it. But the first one is that this must be at the birth. Right? That these women are there and helping Ruth. And, and that after Ruth has given birth to Obed and 
she's recovering that the baby is then given to Naomi and laid in her lap. And then the women said, we're going to name him Obed. Because it's not their job to name the child. It is Boaz's job and Ruth's job. And so the only way I could see this work, if this is actually saying what it sounds like it's saying, is that they name the child and Obed looks at Ruth and says, you know, that's a pretty good name for him, Obed. And they go with it. The other possibility is it does say that they're the women of the hood. So it's possible that Boaz is just plain afraid of them. Like, I don't know. It's possible. Either way. So the women of the hood gave him the name Obed. And Obed, you know what that means? Servant. It's a very rare name in scripture. Most of the time when you find Obed, you find something along with it. Like Obediah. Servant of God, servant of Yahweh, servant of the Lord. Or you find Obed-Melech, servant of the king. Or Obed-Edom, servant of Edom. But here it's just Obed. Which just, I guess, makes him the servant of all. So this baby is born, and I would think the parents would look at this child and Servant, for the name of your firstborn son, really? Like, wouldn't you want to really distinguish between the sons and the servants? But they go with it, and they decide to name him Obed. And it says Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And at this point, your mind should go, aha. Because what just seemed like it was sandwiched in between Judges and 1 Samuel, the entire book of Ruth needs to be read in light of that one sentence. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Which means that this is really an origin story for how the Davidic line came about. So it sounds like, as you're reading through Ruth, that this is just a great parable of the kinsman redeemer, which it is. Or that this is just a romantic story, which I believe it is. Or it's just the story of how this woman happened to happen into the right field. Or about how God restores a woman who had lost everything and said, I'm empty. But then God moves in that situation and restores everything that she had lost and then some. And you might think that that's all that's happening in this story. But that's what's happening on the surface. Right? Because if you read Ruth in the light of that last sentence, what you see is, wait a second, this is actually the story of God preparing the way for the Davidic line. And in fact, it's really about the first rays of the sun peeking over the horizon as it's pointing towards Christ. Right? Because Ruth and Boaz, they show up in Matthew during the genealogy. She's one of five women that do. So this is really about, on the surface it seems like just a romantic story, but under the surface what's really going on is God is decorating for Christmas. 
all while humming, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And you got to read Ruth in light of that. It's not a happen-to-happen kind of moment, right? This is not, I am bitter because of the fact that I'm empty and I I left full. No, there is something so much bigger happening here. And all of the circumstances and all of the situations and everything that happens in this story is a part of something much bigger that's underneath it. And friends, that is the exact same for us today. Right? All of our situations, all of our circumstances, some of us might be like, it's like my hair is blowing in the wind. And I say, the Lord be with you. And everybody goes, ah, the Lord bless you. Or maybe we're like, I'm Naomi in this story. You know, I, I was full, but now, now I'm empty Maybe we feel like Ruth where we're like sitting back and we have no control over the circumstances and yet things kind of click together sometimes. And yet underneath all of it, God is doing something bigger and greater than all of it. Right? Here's what he's doing. In John chapter 14, it tells us. Jesus talking, verse, four, or verse 1 of chapter 14 of John. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. We're still not there yet, friends. Like, we're still on the way. And underneath every single one of our circumstances and situations, God is still moving behind the scenes. And this thing is moving one direction. Jesus is at work today preparing a place. He is at work today. He invaded the earth. He invaded and and the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. It is still happening today, and people are still being delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? This is all happening underneath the surface, and you may not see it every day. It may not be something that pokes through all the time, but every now and then maybe you get a glimpse under the hood, and you're like, okay, I see, God, what you're doing a little bit here. You're doing something, and if in the Old Testament God was... Decorating for Christmas, the decorations are up, right? Like, so what's Jesus now doing? Well, Scripture tells us he's setting the table for dinner, right? Because there will be a banquet, and people from the highways and the byways will be invited in. And he'll say to them, come, come, join us. He is still at work today. And you may not see it every day, but the story of Ruth is the story of God working in a world that is dark. And each and every one of us sometimes get a little glimpse, but he is working underneath the surface. And our circumstances and our situations and those things that are happening in our lives, what I love about Ruth is that God does not run roughshod over it, right? If this is what God is doing, if he's preparing the way for Jesus, 
all through Ruth. Think of the beauty of that situation. Because even while he's doing that, he is restoring a woman who says, call me bitter. Right? And a woman who says, I am empty. He says, no, 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 no. You missed it. And a woman who is bereft, he's providing a husband. And a moment that I think is unparalleled in scriptures for grandmas everywhere. This should be your verse. Like Naomi sitting with him on her lap. What a beautiful and tender thing. God doesn't run roughshod over it. He takes all of the stories and somehow supernaturally weaves them together into a narrative that is so much grander and so much greater. And it's not until you step back and see it that you're like, oh, the women of the hood had it all along. They're the ones who grasped it, and I don't know how they grasped it, but they look at Obed and they say, Praise be to the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. But he has provided for you your salvation. He has provided for you your nourishment and redemption. He has given those things for you. I think they're the only ones who kind of see a little bit more than everyone else. That's why I love these women. They got it. And today that's the same story for us. Maybe some of us would say that everything's going great. And some of us would say that's not. Can I just say to you, God is working underneath the surface in your life. And he is taking your story and somehow taking all things and, and, and working them together for good for those who love him. What in the world That is beyond what I can grasp and all of our ability to make our own decisions and the way that we throw things off. He takes all of those things and still weaves them together into a grand narrative that is building towards the return of Jesus Christ. The story of Ruth is the story of the fact that even in the darkest of places that sun is just peeking over the horizon and a ray of hope is shining through and pointing to Jesus Christ. And that is the story for each and every one of us as well. The coming of Jesus and what he does in Ruth is what he is doing in our lives too. Praise be to God who has not left you this day without a redeemer. That is the story of Ruth. That is the story of being on the way. Would you stand with me today? Here's how I want to end because... As I read this story and I see how God works in the situation and weaves this all together and really working behind the scenes preparing for Jesus Christ and moments where things happen to happen and moments where we sometimes miss what he has given us because we're so focused on the wrong thing. The very beginning of this service, Pastor Nathan led with Psalm 121. He said, where does my help come from? He said, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I love that picture because it's actually, it's the picture of somebody who's in a battle or something. And David would know about this. Like he said, he kind of probably been through this a time or two. 
and he's waiting for like the rest of the army to show up or something, right? And so as in the middle of the battle, he looks up to the hills and he's looking for his help. And the beautiful thing about this scripture is that it seems to indicate that as he looks to the hills, he doesn't see the army he's looking for there. But he, he does see the hills themselves. And he goes, oh wait, that's right. My God created the hills. And he's holding the hills together. I'm okay. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And whatever your circumstances are, I'm not telling you to pretend that they don't exist. Like that's nowhere in Ruth. Ruth is the story of, boy, reality. Like you you read through Ruth and it's like gritty and it's grimy and it's obvious that this is a real situation with real people. It's not like Pretend your circumstances don't exist. That's not what he's saying. Instead, what I would say to you is in the midst of your circumstances, look beyond your circumstances. Look to the one who created underneath it all and the one who's holding everything together and realize that that's your God and he is still at work today. And he's setting the table. He's preparing for dinner. And everything is moving that direction, whether we see it or not. If you're in here right now and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's the thing. The story of Judges is so obviously real. A lot of times we blame external circumstances, but the problem is not external. The problem is internal. We are not a sinner because we sin We sin because we are a sinner, right? There's an internal issue. And in the midst of that, no one else can save us but God himself. And what scriptures say is that he sent a savior who can deliver us from our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and our own inability to save ourselves. He can save us story of scripture as it says in Romans is that every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and according to Romans how we are saved in the midst of that is we put our faith in Jesus Christ that we declare that he's the Lord of our life and that we put our faith in the fact that God raised him from the dead that the scriptures are true of him and so this morning I want to end with prayer and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that very thing to declare him Lord of your life today to say God I don't see it all but I see that I need you and say, I, I, I just declare right now that you are Lord of my life. And I want to give you that opportunity as well and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, as I come today, I thank you that we're not there yet. But this thing is moving one direction. It might seem like it's all just a big circle. God, but it's not. It's moving one direction. And it's leading to a very specific place. And God, a lot of times we don't see what you're doing underneath the surface. But every now and then we get a peek underneath the hood. Maybe we see things as like a dim reflection in a mirror. Whatever it might be, we see there's something bigger and something greater that's happening. And God, just as they had a hope for the first coming of Christ, God, we have a hope for something bigger and better, that Jesus Christ is coming back. And that hope is real and alive today. And we don't know when it is, but God, we want to be prepared today. And so, Father, right now, I just declare that you are Lord of my life. 
I thank you that though I am a sinner, I am delivered from that by the power of Jesus Christ, the only one who could save. I do what's right in my own eyes, but the problem is it's an internal issue, God. It's an internal issue, and you boil it down at the very bottom of it all. The problem is not external. It's not with my circumstances. The problem is me. So I thank you for Jesus Christ, my Savior, who delivers me. He is the Lord of my life today. I put my faith in him today. I say he is Lord and God. I thank you that you raised him from the dead. And even now he is seated at your right hand and he is at work. He's setting the table. I mean, it is happening. We're moving towards that great banquet today. That is the direction we are headed. And Lord, bring us to that day. Today I pray. Build hope in us in the midst of our darkness. And help us to see in situations where things seem to just happen to happen. That God, you are at work and you are weaving together our small stories into that grand narrative of how you move in mankind. God, I thank you for that. And I praise you in it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you're in here and you need prayer for anything today, I would just encourage you that as others are headed out this morning, would you just head down into the front? We would just love to pray with you this morning, and not just this morning, but pray with you all week long. If you're in here and you just committed your life to Christ for the very first time, that would be a great opportunity for you to just come down and have this team pray with you and kind of talk you through those next steps. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember that we're still on the way. He's still leading us. There's still a hope for the future. God bless you today.